0: Smells jesus And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways. Welcome to Smells now Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we're continuing our series, Following and Sharing the Way of Jesus. In this episode, Matt Waldron will be speaking to us from Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 to 37. Good is good, no matter who does it. Here's Matt. I want to uh, get you to think about a question before we dive into that Bible passage. Uh, uh, This is not a very serious question, but I hope it'll get you primed thinking about the issues that this Bible passage is about. So this is the question. Who would win in a fight between Voldemort and Darth Vader? Okay, so turn to the person next. You have a quick discussion. I'll give you two minutes. Uh, If that seems too ridiculous to talk about, you might want to consider what degree of power each of them has, and how each of them ends up being defeated in their story. So you're trying to see how they stack up against each other in terms of power and how they, what their weakness is. Go for it. Just, just to be clear, if you're not familiar with the stories, Voldemort is a big evil wizard, and Darth Vader is a big evil Jedi. If, if you didn't know that, <laughs> this exercise won't have worked very well for you. You've got about 30 more seconds. Well, I'll pull you together there. I would be fascinated to hear your thoughts about that. However, I'm just wary of the danger of us spending the next 20 minutes talking about that question. So by all means, talk to me about it over morning tea, and I would love to hear your thoughts. But let me just uh, tell you why I asked that question, and I hope you got something. I hope you, you, this resonates with your discussion. Uh, that is, uh, both uh, Voldemort and Darth Vader in their respective stories, Harry Potter and Star Wars, uh, have incredible power beyond most people, most people in the story. Uh, and... Both of them are defeated by somebody, you know, the hero of the story, not because the hero is more powerful, but because the hero is more virtuous. Right, so uh, Luke Skywalker turns up, and he doesn't want to fight Darth. Uh, I-, I try not to give any spoilers here, if you haven't seen Return of the Jedi. Uh, well, some of the young people might not have got around to it yet. So I remember being a young person and watching classic movies that other people had spoiled for me, and I was very disappointed. So. Uh, Luke is very reluctant to fight, and uh, his, his desire to see, uh, you know, good for everyone, even Darth Vader, that kind of virtue ends up being the reason he kind of wins, in a, in a sense. And similarly, in uh, Harry Potter, in the final confrontation between Harry and uh, Voldemort, uh, Voldemort's way more powerful, but Harry is way more virtuous and that's the thing that ultimately uh, defeats Voldemort. So, uh, I don't know how that means they stack up against each other. We can talk about that over morning tea if you want. But the point is, there's this, I, I think this is a popular kind of narrative in lots of fiction, uh, that there's, there's some kind of important relationship between power and good and evil, between power and right and wrong. Particularly, power. people who are more powerful than us are scary, so best to assume they're evil. Um, if you think that's overstating it, well let me suggest that 's increasingly the way public discourse in the Western world is framed, right uh, whether it 's the left and the right side of politics or the progressive and the conservative view of equality or whatever sides you know people identify with, uh, increasingly i don 't know if it's uh, just a phase we're going through, if it's because of the rise of social... I'm not sure why, but most people I speak to, and there are sort of plenty of people saying this publicly, increasingly the Western world seems to be divided and unable to have constructive kind of discourse around these issues because those people on the other side, well, you know, what I believe is just common sense. So if those people don't understand, they don't agree, they're either stupid or evil. And if there's millions of them, then they've got some real power, politically or physically, whatever, and that's scary. And, of course, it works exactly the same on the other side. Those other people, whichever side you want to be on, on any of these, you know, the, the kind of framework is, well, our, we're, we're just right. We're, we're obviously right. And so if people disagree, it's either because they're stupid or evil, but there's millions of them running around. They could do anything. That's scary. So I think uh, in this context, uh, this Bible passage is really important because it's about the relationship between power and good and evil. It's about the power between the relationship between power and right and wrong. And the big, if you take nothing away from this Bible passage, the big thing you've got to see that Jesus is arguing is that good is good no matter who does it. Okay? Good is good no matter who does it. So the issue gets framed at the start of uh, this story we're looking at in Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons." So i just got to frame this very quickly by just stating the obvious. This happened on the other side of the world 2,000 years ago in a very different culture to our culture today. Uh, certainly in terms of this issue, they were in a culture where everyone just assumed that demons existed and they could possess people, and so casting them out was a good thing, whereas we live in a culture where everyone pretty much assumes that that's not true. Right? So, uh, th- Angels and demons is not the main point of this passage, I don't want to talk about it at length, but I feel like I just need to say two quick things to kind of frame this so we can get past that cultural difference and actually look at the issue. Um, The first one is, what Jesus has done here is enabled somebody who's blind and mute, so blind and unable to speak, to be able to see and be able to speak. So regardless of how you think he did that, hopefully we would all agree that's a good thing. And we'd all agree that's a very powerful thing for someone to just snap their fingers and do, right? And that's really all we need to be able to agree with these guys on to be able to understand the discussion, right? Because the Pharisees, both a number of onlookers, including particular onlookers called Pharisees, they see this and go, that's a good thing, but that's, not, that's, that's way more powerful than any of us are. That's the reaction. That's what we need to be able to understand, to understand. You know, understand what's going on in this discussion uh, just very briefly as a sideline uh, in terms of what the bible says about angels and demons i think there's two things just to notice in we're not going to try and figure it out all right now i'm very happy to talk about this over morning tea but the, the the big framework you've got to see i think to understand the bible clearly on angels and demons is firstly to see that the bible is consistent in saying that there are some kind of uh, spiritual forces which we tend to label angels and demons, that that are real and exist and are significant. Um, The other thing you've got to see as you read the Bible on this subject is that uh, the way that is discussed changes culturally from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. So the way uh, this is being discussed here, uh, the the Jewish people have been influenced by the surrounding Greco-Roman culture, which was quite paranoid about kind of being possessed by evil spirits. And the fact that uh, Jesus is willing to engage with that conversation doesn't mean that he's saying we should be paranoid about that kind of issue because uh, God's people throughout the Old Testament don't have that Greco-Roman paranoia. They know that there are angels and demons, right? So if you want to see what the Bible says about angels and demons, you've got to realize that there's cultural variation, but there's also a consistency in it that there is some kind of uh, spiritual reality uh, that is there. Okay. Hopefully we can, that's enough to just say, that's not the main point, let's get on with this thing where Jesus has demonstrated an incredible power to do something really good. And so some people go, could this be the son of David, which is Jewish shorthand for the descendant of ja- David who God has promised to be the king of the world who will renew things and make things good and peaceful and all that great stuff. Could it be him? He's got this incredible power and he's using it for good he seems like a candidate. And then other people, uh, Pharisees, which is a particular kind of like a religious denomination or a kind of school of thought within Judaism, kind of the main kind of respected one, Uh, a bunch of them say it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So do you see what's happening? Here is a guy who's very powerful, he's doing something good and some people go, well then he must be He must have some special role that seems likely he's got some special role to use power for good and other people go no no he's too powerful that's just scary it must be evil and Jesus' response essentially is good is good no matter who does it look at verse 25 following Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand so there's the kind of metaphor if you have two armies fighting against each other, but one of the armies is fighting against itself, that army is going to lose. Pure and simple. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? So, if evil fights against evil, evil's doomed. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. So Jesus says to the Pharisees, when you guys, when some of your people, right, when other Pharisees drive out demons, what's going out on there? Now that statement shows us two really important things. Firstly, it shows us that this was a part of their culture. Right? So Jesus has not come along to this culture where there's no belief in angels and demons, and said, you guys need to believe in angels and demons. They are busy casting out demons and trying to do that stuff. Right? That's, that's their culture. And Jesus is engaging with that And the problem is not that he's doing something that they don't believe in, or they don't understand, or they don't think it's good. The problem is he's just so much better at it than them. That's what scares them. Uh, The other thing to notice here is, Jesus doesn't say, no, no, when I cast out demons, it's good power, but when you guys cast out demons, it's evil. That's what a standard politician would do. I mean, haven't you heard those political discourses, right? Uh, when the government does something and the opposition says, you might think that this is a good thing, but clearly it's bad because our opponents are doing it. Right? So this happens with economic policy all the time. Right? When, when our party, historically or in the future, uh, runs a, uh, uh, a, 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 ba- a non-balanced budget where we, you know, we're losing money as a country, that's an important, necessary uh, strategy to build the economy. But when the political opponents do it, that's you know, dastardly, irresponsible financial mismanagement. Just because it's them or it's us. And so then the, the other party responds and says, no, 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 you guys are the bad guys. When you do the same as us, you're not really doing good. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, when you guys cast out demons, that's a good thing. When I cast out demons, that's a good thing. Good is good no matter who does it, right? When I heal this guy who's blind and make him be able to see, that's a good thing. When you take someone who's sick and look after them so they get well, that's a good thing. Good is good, no matter who does it. That's his fundamental argument. Now, while it's easy to see that in our kind of political landscape, uh, in social media, I think it's really important to see uh, how this can be a temptation just in our day-to-day personal interactions with people. I mean, firstly, just living in that landscape, there's a temptation to join in with that kind of stress. Uh, I heard an interview this week uh, where people were talking about you know, the fact that the, the, both the interviewer and the person being interviewed obviously uh, both voted the same way in the most recent federal election, and they were talking about that they didn't vote for the current party in power, and they described that as, and I quote, terrifying. They found the current government terrifying. And I thought, that's just overstating it a little bit, isn't it? I mean, you might not like them, you might not like their policies, you might think that they're making things worse, but to say that it's terrifying, uh, particularly when they also have to go on and admit that some of the things they're doing, they think are the right things to be doing. So... This is the thing, good is good no matter who does it. We have an incredible, incredible blessing of living in a time and a place in the world where, have we ever had a terrifying government in Australia? We've had better or worse ones, but you look, at, you look at Central Africa, some of the governments they've had, they've had terrifying governments. We just have less good or more bad governments. And so this kind of rhetoric that says, you know, if people disagree with me, that's terrifying. Gosh, if you live your life that way, well, that, that, that won't be a fun way to live. But even just personally, uh, if people tr- do something to us that we don't like, if someone, you know, s- says a bit of gossip about us and we, and we find out about it later, I mean, that's obviously a bad thing to do, but that doesn't mean that they can do no right. That doesn't mean that Everything they've done is wrong. It doesn't mean that they make no valuable contribution to the team or you know, if it's at work or that they've never done anything nice for you if it's a personal... You know, we can so easily take one wrong and blow it out of proportion. We need to remember, good is good no matter who does it. So if you get nothing else out of today, just get that one thing. <laughs> Good is good, no matter how, who does it. But Jesus wants to draw a couple more implications uh, from that. The first one is, that means that the people who responded to him by saying, you're extra powerful and using that for good, that means you have some special role. He wants to argue that case and say, that's exactly right. He argues that case much more clearly and forcefully. So from verse 28... He says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So in a nutshell he's endorsing the the view. Right? If you're acknowledging that I'm doing good with way more power than anyone else, yes, that's got to mean that I am God's king, and that's exactly what he's claiming. So then, verse 29. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. So you see the argument here. Anyone might be able to uh, you know, run onto a strong man's front yard and pick one of his flowers unauthorized and run off before the guy comes out and you know shouts at him and stops him, whatever. But if somebody is just casually removing all of the possessions from the strongman's house. The strongman is obviously now out of the equation. So Jesus is saying, you know, if I've got the degree of power over what's wrong with the world, that you can observe that I do, that means I'm the one who fixes the world. If I've got this degree of power over evil, it means that I'm the one that defeats evil. And so then he says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Uh, Now, I don't know what you think of when we read that. Uh, I think of the part of Star Wars where Darth Vader is becoming Darth Vader, and he's saying he wants to take over the universe to make everything better. And uh, Obi-Wan says, you know, that's not a good plan. And uh, proto-Darth says, uh, whoever's not with me is against me. And Obi-Wan says, Only a Sith reasons in an absolutes. And then they have a big fight. Um, and so, you know, Obi-Wan, well, George Lucas is saying that Jesus is a Sith. Um, that's worth noticing. Uh, what, what's the point here? Well, it's two things to notice. The first one is, uh, on another occasion, Jesus says, Whoever is not against me is for me. Right? So Jesus is not on a power trip. Uh, he's being clear that. That he's claiming he's God's king, that he is the one who sets right, right. He is the one who's going to fix the world. And so you've got to decide whether you're on board with that. And when people are kind of confused about that, and confused about the implications of that, but don't want to miss out, then he's encouraging. And says, look, if you're not opposing me, we'll count you as in. If you're not actually opposing me, we'll count you as for me. If you're not against me, you're for me. But in this situation, that's what's not going on. In this situation, the Pharisees are acknowledging that what he is doing is good. They're acknowledging that what he's doing is more powerful than normal people. And saying, we don't like that. We've got to come up with some excuse to not listen to you. And so in that context, he's much firmer. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. You can't just make excuses for not responding, which is what they're doing. And so that's why he's so firm about it. Verse 31, And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, uh, the Son of Man is Jesus' favourite way of referring to himself. So, having just said, if you're not against me, sorry, if you're not for me, you're against me, he then immediately says that that can be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Right? So, having put it very firmly, his follow up explanation is, but you can be forgiven for getting that wrong. Like, he's pushing them to get it right. He's not saying it's unforgivable. Anyone who speaks against Jesus, they can be forgiven for that. They just need to realize that they're wrong and turn around and follow him. But he says, anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now what's all that about? Well, he's referred to uh, his ability to do these things as being because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That is, God's own Spirit makes these things unusual good things happen and so one of the unusual good things that's happening in the world that was happening then that is happening then is happening today still is people realizing that they are part of the problem and turning to follow Jesus you know when I realized that it wasn't just you know the bullies at school that were part of the problem that I was part of the problem and I turned to follow Jesus if you're a Christian when you realized that the problems in the world were partly you and so you apologized to God and asked him to forgive you and you turned to follow Jesus. The only reason any of those incredible things happen is because of God's own spirit enabling that good to happen. So if God's own spirit is working in your mind or your heart or in Jesus, you know, healing a blind person or doing things to show you that you are part of the problem, but God wants to forgive you and change things. If the Holy Spirit is enabling you to see those things in turn, and you think that's evil, that's what they're doing. The Holy Spirit enables Jesus to heal this guy, to show them, this is God's King, turn and trust Him, follow Him. And they go, no, no, that good thing is evil. Well, how are they ever going to be persuaded? If God's own spirit persuading them, they think that's evil. If someone has a sense in their heart, this feels like it's true. I'm quite uncomfortable about that. So I'm just going to ignore that feeling and say that it's evil. Now, of course, just because you have a feeling doesn't mean you need to believe it. But if you know, if, you, if whatever God does to persuade you, to admit you're part in the problem and turn and follow, if, whatever God, if you're going to call all of that evil... How are you ever going to turn? How are you going to change? How can the problem be solved? And so that's why he says, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So to sum all that bit up, confusing good with wrong, sorry, confusing right with wrong is wrong. Or confusing good with evil is evil. I mean, this is very easy to see on the kind of extreme examples that we take for granted. Imagine a uh, man breaks into a house, thankfully there's no one there, so uh, you know, he steals a bunch of stuff, takes off. Uh, the family's just you know, quite stressed when they get home and realize that they've been broken into, they wonder whether their insurance is gonna cover all of it, it they just feel violated that their personal space, You know, but the police catch the guy, he gets taken to court Uh, The police's testimony is clear that they've caught the guy with the stuff. They find fingerprint evidence in the house, which almost never happens on these little cases, but they do. The evidence against him is clear. The judge says, this man broke in and stole these people's stuff. Those people who own the house must pay him compensation for him stealing their stuff. You go, what? Right, that is wrong. To call wrong right and to call right wrong, that, that itself is wrong. Right? Or a, uh, maybe a young lady addicted to, to drugs and, and strung out of them and trying to get her next fix you know, beats up an old lady to steal her purse. There are plenty of witnesses. They go to court and the, the judge says, Yes, you unprovoked, aggressively, violently attacked this woman caused all this harm to her, sh- the old lady who's been hurt should go to prison. Right, that's just, it's, it just, it's hard to imagine it's so wrong. Right? It's clearly wrong. To think that right is wrong or to think that wrong is right, that is, that is wrong. It's offensively wrong. And yet all of us can slip into that when it comes to evaluating ourselves. Right, what I do... I really want that to be right <laughs> or we can slip into that with people who have heard us I want to think that they must be wrong every time that we disagree but confusing right with wrong is wrong and so we all need uh, God's Spirit to work in our hearts to change us because right and wrong come from the heart that's the final paragraph verses 33 to 37 make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit you brood of vipers how can you who are evil say anything good for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Okay, the the main thing, I I think that's pretty clear, really. Uh, Jesus is saying, our words and our actions come out of our hearts, come out of us really come out of our thoughts our feelings our decisions you know what we think of as the real me inside that's where right and wrong comes from that's where good and evil comes from um the the trick for new players with this paragraph is that jesus is speaking in a way that was very uh familiar to the jews he was talking through talking to so in in the the jewish scriptures what christians call the old testament there's a very common uh, kind of device, kind of poetic device, uh, particularly in wisdom literature, where you just paint you know, good and evil as black and white by having a good guy and a bad guy. You just describe the good guy and you describe the bad guy. You, you describe the wise person, you describe the fool. Um, and, and you just give these two kind of characters. That's not to suggest that those characters actually exist. Yeah? So he's not saying there are two kinds of people in the world, good people and bad people, and it's black and white. He's not saying that. He's just saying, let me tell you what good is like by personifying it. Let's have a good person. Let me tell you what bad is like by personifying and having This is what the good person's like, this is what the bad person's like. Uh, but Jesus and his hearers knew that everybody's a mixture of both, right? Because he's just been arguing that good is good no matter who does it. He's just been acknowledging that when Pharisees cast out demons, they're doing good, but they're in danger of committing the unforgivable sin of not seeing when God's Spirit is trying to persuade them, but calling that evil, right? So he can tell people that they're doing good and they're in danger of committing the unforgivable sin at the same time, right? So he knows that people are a mixture of good and bad. So make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit... Right? The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Right? So the reason people speak a mixture of good and bad is because our hearts are a mixture of good and bad. The reason we do uh, a mixture of right and wrong is because our hearts have a mixture of right and wrong. So what does that mean for me growing as a person, for you growing as a person? Well, I think there are two very popular ways to get this wrong. Uh, So I read an article just recently that was uh, criticising the film and inconvenient truth, not because there was any, they had any concern about the, the facts in the film or the logical inference that we need to change the way we're engaged with the planet. But because of the logic that says, if we can just persuade people of the facts and the logical outcome, then people will change. And this person said, people don't change that way. It's very common for people to say, yes, I understand what you're saying, yes, I agree, and then it doesn't change their lives. If I may risk overstating it, churches around the world are full of people like that. There are plenty of people in churches who identify as good Christians because they believe the right things, they say right and wrong are right and wrong, but it doesn't really do anything to their life. And that's a disaster. The other really popular idea today, and it's been popular for, I don't know, 100 years, give or take, is that what you need to do is make people behave the right way, and then that will change their attitudes. I don't know if you've come across uh, that, uh, that reason, if you've had someone actually tell you that, that that's what we should do, but um, uh, one of the the things, it's not the only thing, but one of the things that fuels our current culture's uh, divisiveness and the kind of verbal heat that is used in public debate is there are plenty of scholars who think, well, you just need to bully people into doing the right thing, and then they'll change their attitudes. Um, I don't know how much persuasion you need, that's not a good strategy, but... It's worth noticing that this is a misunderstanding of a principle in the Bible, right? Uh, Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, Jesus said, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What he means by that, I think, is spend your money in ways that are going to help people grow as people following Jesus. So then that will be, they'll go to heaven and you'll be able to have those relationships forever, that kind of thing. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you change your behaviour so that you're investing in heaven, then that will change your heart so that you'll really treasure that. But Jesus also says that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. So how do these things fit together? Well, I think it's pretty straightforward. We need to make decisions to actually do good. We saw last week that uh, Jesus says that uh, right and wrong is ultimately about doing good. It's about doing good to other people. It's about loving people. That's what's right to do. And so we need to keep making decisions to actually do that, to actually do good. So if we're forced to do good, well, good is good no matter who does it. Uh, So it's better to do good with bad motivations than to do bad with whatever motivations. Like, it's better to do good. Good is good no matter who does it. But being forced to do good doesn't change my heart. Being encouraged to do good, being persuaded to do good, which depending on how stubborn I am, that might include what looks like bullying to other people. I don't know. I'm pretty stubborn. But if I'm persuaded to decide to do good, then when I do it, uh, that changes my heart. As I practice deciding to do good and actually doing it, uh, the good grows in my heart. And I suspect, you can all imagine, that as I decide to do bad and I practice doing bad, the bad in my heart grows. So what does this mean? Well, it means, uh, I think, two, two obvious things, just to finish up. First of all, for me to grow as a person, I need to practice deciding to do good. Doing good on autopilot won't grow my heart. Right, there are, there are lots of things that everybody does, I mean, in different cultures, different communities, people do different things, but people do good things because it's just what you do. Right, people do good things because it's how they were brought up. They can't imagine doing anything different. And that's good, it's good, to, good is good no matter who does it, but it's not gonna grow you as a good person. It's not going to change your heart so doing good on autopilot a good thing that's a good thing in itself right if i've if i've say for example uh you have some bad habit and you decide you, you realize that it's that it's bad that it's harming you that it's harming other people whatever and so you ask god to help you change and you change and you keep practicing that and you know the first day is just a killer the first week it gets slightly better uh, after four weeks, you're on top of the world. Another week later, it's worse than the first day and you don't know what's gone wrong, but nothing's... you know. But eventually, after a few years, you just don't think about it anymore. You've, you've formed a good habit instead. Well, that, that's a good thing to do, right? That's a good thing to do. You don't want to spend the rest of your life every day stressing over that thing. If you can make it a habit, that's great. But then you need to work on a new habit. <laughs> You need to keep finding decisions to make to decide to do good because doing good by habit, that's the right thing to aim for. But doing good by habit doesn't change your heart. Practicing, deciding to do good, that's what grows the good in our hearts. So we can never just rest on our laurels and become complacent. We need to always be seeking to grow in goodness we need to be always seeking to practice deciding to do good and then the other implication is when it comes to persuading other people persuading people uh, in a, a decision about what to do at work when it's a moral issue or uh, trying to persuade people to turn and follow Jesus any of those kind of moral persuasions uh, persuasion is in the heart of the beholder persuasion is in the heart of of the beholder. If the other person you're trying to persuade thinks that you are bullying them, you might not be bullying them at all. But if they think you're bullying them, you won't persuade them. Because they'll just be offended that you're bullying them. They'll just dig their heels in and be more committed to not be persuaded. Even if you convince them to do it, if they think they did it because you made them, their heart is only hardened. They haven't grown in good and similarly if you think you're being persuasive and they're just ignoring you (laughs) then you're not actually being persuasive are you you need to be firm enough to be persuasive but not so harsh that they interpret that as bullying so can I leave you with a challenge what is an area of your life you want to grow in as a person What is an area of your life you want to grow in as a person? I don't particularly want to tell you what it should be because we're all a mixture of good and bad, right? So you have enough good in you that you can find something good to grow in, right? You can do that. I don't need to tell you something. You're capable of finding something. But the thing is, if you're not deciding to do good, if it's just on autopilot, then you're not growing. So make sure you find something if you haven't got something this week. If you're a member of this church... I'm going to be asking you over the month, the next month, what your project is that you're working on, practicing, deciding to do good. Because if you haven't got something, you're not growing. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much that you love us. You love us despite our shortcomings, despite our self-deceits, despite our arrogance. And so you show us the way forward. Show us the truth. And you especially sent Jesus to lead us and rescue us. Uh, Please help us to remember that good is good no matter who does it. Help us to resist the temptation uh, not to judge people fairly, but to let our own fears uh, get in the way. And also help us to see that right and wrong come from the heart and so we need to keep practicing so we can keep growing please help us to uh, encourage rather than bully each other in these things Amen so uh, now or over morning tea you might like to talk about uh, a kind of area of your life that you're going to practice deciding to do good you might like to talk about oh what is an area of good you want to grow in so you might like to talk about that before you go into wanting tea, and then you might like to talk about uh, whether Darth Vader or Voldemort would win. Thank you.